0: Welcome to the Continent of Resistance, a podcast with interviews and discussions on labor movements across Asia. So I think maybe let's start the conversation with something that I've been thinking a lot about, which is really what this moment is for labor movements across Asia, right? There is this discourse about shrinking social society space that I've seen for the last few years. I don't know if you've seen that being discussed or being included in reports and, and analysis. And I think it's useful to unpack this moment, this idea, and also mm-hmm. just thinking more broadly about what it really is. this moment means for us. Because I think very rarely do we take a step back and, and look at the big picture.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, really interesting moment right now. And I think one question that that comes up, you know, now that you're talking about this is how far back we, Mm. could we identify this, this period? Is this the beginning of a different phase in history or is this a a continuation of of what has been going on since, I don't know, the 2010s, right?
0: Right, right. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think sort of, contextualize this moment and historicize it is it, is quite important otherwise I, I i i very often see this kind of impression that people have that the the spaces is, uh, have always been shrinking things are are always getting worse i mean obviously that's very a historical way of looking at what's happening right mm-hmm. so i think like thinking about the moment in in history and mm-hmm. and having some kind of framework and and time frame to think about this is very important
1: right and also i think it's it's important to situate this in a broader context right because Mm. i think now when people are talking about the the rise of authoritarianism you know the the rise of right-wing politicians or movements that have been going on all over the world and in i think in asia or south asia I don't know. The question is maybe this is part of the larger trend. And in terms of the timing, you know, is it similar or maybe a development that followed what's going on in other parts of the world as well? You know, in the US, you've seen like the rise of Donald Trump and then Joe Biden's come, you know, later on in the the EU as well, right? In Europe, Mm -hmm. we've seen a lot of similar movements, but yeah, but I, I guess in Asia, there's, there are a lot of particular particularities right. and also similarities
0: yeah absolutely i think you know for listeners you know we are doing this episode in quite a different way than we, we have been doing it for the last few months you know we all in the past episode we always have at least one guest sometimes two or three guests and i kind of kind of conversation with, with the core guests and but for this episode it's really just you and me talking right you know, like i think Because I think we decided that it would be actually interesting to just share what's been our 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 mind for the last Mm -hmm. few months or past year. Because we have been thinking a lot about, you know, the different movements, things that are happening here in Asia. It's 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 useful to tease that out a little bit. Right. Yeah, I want to pick up what you said about Pampher, you know, how far do we go back? Of course, we can go back very far but you know for our purpose of understanding this moment like we can go back to the 60s and 70s when a lot of the movement were stronger in Asia movements the labor movement are stronger or we can go back to the I don't know 80s and 90s when during this kind of neoliberal period when labor faced a lot of you know attacks or I don't know the great financial crisis the great recession in 2007-2008 what what will be a good starting point for you?
1: Well, I think for me, what really marked a change during my lifetime, you know, uh, we are not that old to talk about maybe the seventies, <laughs> which I was born in the late, you know, nineteen seventy. Maybe what what is really outstanding, I think, for me is is the financial crisis in nineteen ninety seven. Right, for me, I was in the center of that the financial crisis in Thailand, which. sparked waves of crisis all over Asia, right? And, Mm. you know, Thailand is one of the centers. And I think for me, looking back to that period and thinking about what I've learned, what I've noticed during all this, a decade or so, one or two decades, that is, I think, important moment because after Thailand got the IMF fund and Mm. all of that, we've seen, I think in, in retrospect, in short, it's it's a really important moment where we have seen a rollback, you know, in labor rights, there was, that was the beginning of the the movement to kind of undermine workers' rights. I, I'm talking about the outsourcing right. and the law that allowed flexibility, right? Yeah. I think, you know, maybe you've seen similar things in, in other places too.
0: Yeah, no, actually this is, I think, a really important point about the Asian financial crisis in 1997, 1998. Like I think that sometimes gets lost in global discussions because it you know it's kind of Asian financial crisis and mm-hmm. tend to be like oh it's it's happens to only a few countries in Asia and maybe not that important but that actually was a defining moment as you were saying right right for for right. those countries that were affected but also for for labor it was actually a an important sort of turning point or starting point. When I think about the the Asian financial crisis. I, I think about the kind of, well, two things. One is where capital is moving. I think the, the 1990s to me is a period where some of the already industrialized economies in Asia, including, for example, Korea, Japan, and also Taiwan and Hong Kong really moved their production to other parts of Asia okay. that are, that are in the process of industrializing, right? I saw that very clearly in, in China even though china kind of opened up its economy in the 80s already but the kind of huge wave of investment didn't arrive until the 2000 early 2000s mm-hmm. and i don't know how how much of this is kind of well known but the initial investment didn't come directly from europe or north america it actually came from korea from japan from taiwan hong kong so kind of the the financial crisis for for China, I think was a turning point where a lot of the production were coming to China and starting to explore, exploit this kind of new labor army of labor reserve from the countryside. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time you see in those countries in Korea, in Japan, in Taiwan, and Hong Kong where the labor conditions for workers got worse through capital outsourcing from capital relocation, but also through this basically informalizing or casualizing the workforce. So I think right. that's kind of it's sort of important yeah, turning point for, for a lot of movements and for labor, for workers. Uh, I don't know, how how do you see that from a Southeast Asian perspective?
1: It's just the, the 1997 crisis is just, for us, it marks the beginning of something. We felt like, oh, it, we were so vulnerable because at the mm-hmm. time, the government had forced to let go of some of their power, open the door for at least for the IMF to yeah. come and have a say about a lot of things. We've seen changes in regulations and politically, it's really important too, because after that, there was democratization period. Mm, I mean, mm. we had a rise of middle class, you know, it was right. 1999, 2000, that that was, I think, the, the middle class protest. <laughs> mm. That was the first time we we saw like what we call the mobile phone mobs, <laughs> you right, know? The, right, right. the one who, especially in urban center, would let the protest, you no. know? But yeah, yeah, I, I don't know if that's
0: with you or not. Yeah, I think this is another thing that I think we should name, which is neoliberalism in Asia. I, I don't think there's only one version of neoliberalism, right? right. It's not like there's a one blueprint that countries just Mm -hmm. implement, but I I do see a shift maybe from the 80s, 90s into 2000s where countries adopt at least certain neoliberal policies. Uh, I think before that, a lot of countries in Asia have this kind of managed, state managed capitalism. It was still capitalism, but it was the, the state probably managed or controlled more of the economy. But after the 90s and after the Asian financial crisis, it seems neoliberalism began to take a much stronger hold in, in Asia. I don't know what's your what's your take.
1: You remind me of in our first episode, I talk about the title of our uh, podcast uh, came right. from, right? It right. came from the book, The Resistance on the Continent of Labor Struggle. Is that, is that right? Now I'm just confused. Yeah, so... I think it's resistant on the continent of labor, right? Mm. Sorry. Yeah. So that book is really, really important for me. And, and because that book kind of documented the labor struggles between the, I think, st- during the 2010s, you know, some of the chapters talk about labor struggles mm. emerging in 2012, 2013, mm. or even earlier than that, 2016. Right. And I think, yeah, the book kind of highlights the common challenges that labor struggle mm-hmm. faces, or challenges that most of them face at the time. and I didn't think they talked about four main issues: low wage policy, unfavorable favorable labor registration, and mm-hmm. growing temporarily workers in the countries. And then the last one is the rampant union busting. And I think this right. for me, these three or four issues are, something that happened following that period following the you know neoliberalizations in the regions and yeah we can think of that as what happened after you know a mm-hmm. decade ago an expression of what it means for for labor
0: right i think i brought this up with with you but also with with other friends about this sort of four or five years periods between maybe 2008 and 2012 where there are like waves of labor struggles in multiple countries in Asia. I think mostly in manufacturing, you know, it was the case in Indonesia. I think it was the case in, I think, in Myanmar. And I see that in China, for example, it's it's within that four five-year periods, there seemed to arise a rise of manufacturing factory workers' struggle. I don't know if they are at all related, but it's kind of interesting to think that it seems that 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 was a period where there was some pushback by by workers, but after that, after twenty fourteen or fifteen, it seemed that sort of cycle of struggle quieted down a lot since then. Uh, I don't know how how you see that. Uh, uh, I know well, it's difficult to so forge links between them. Yeah.
1: I think that was that observation, probably similar to what. Is, was documented by by the book uh, that I mentioned, right? Right. That they saw a lot of changes in the region. And one of the things that they, I think that they talked about is, you know, the this emergence of new actors in the labor movements. I think right. they talked about young workers who play uh, important roles in labor struggles in different countries. Right. And they see the left-wing politics in, in the unions as well that contribute to that rise or the wave that you just mentioned right. and also the, they're also changing sectors right that we see the rise of struggles or labor protests like garment industry in cambodia or uh, public sectors in south korea you know even though some some countries still have manufacturing and services like malaysia mm. but i think yeah or also in thailand that waves i think correspond to the time where Thailand has become the producers of cars. So we see right. that that kind of rise in, in the struggle among automotive, auto part workers. And myself, yeah, I did my research with on labor activism among other workers in Thailand. Mm. And I was doing that in 2016, 17. Mm. And it for me it, it was I think not the middle, but toward the end of their strengths, I would say they used to be stronger than that, and probably uh, around the same time uh, early two thousand tens that mm. they saw the rise of of their activities, yeah,
0: right right, right yeah i I think about the for example the the framework that really silver proposed, right, in terms of looking at the relationship between capital relocation and and labor movements, of course, she traces certain sectors, whether it's garment, apparel or electronics or car or automotive. you know, she's to look at how capital relocates to different countries, and then how then the labor movements kind of grow and then maybe fall, maybe decline at least through worker struggles, you know wages are going up, and there are better conditions, and the capital start to look at. Other places for right. investment opportunities. So there is some kind of, uh, time, temp- and temporalities. Sometimes it's hard to tease that out, you know, when right. you look at multiple countries, even for silver, like she's looking at only a few countries and specific sectors. But I think the, p- the, the broader pictures, if we can tease it out, it could be quite interesting, right? Coming back to this idea of authoritarianism or the sense that, you know, it seems that the, so neoliberal capitalism is not delivering the, the kind of prosperity right. that people may be expecting. And in response, I think the state in many countries have turned more authoritarian. And that includes both countries that are already authoritarian, but also countries that are formally, right, democratic has taken right. like a more authoritarian right. turn. Uh, and I think it's a lot to do, from my perspective, it's a lot to do with the decline or maybe the slow death of neoliberalism and its failure to meet the expectation of not only the working class, but also the middle class.
1: Mm. Well, yeah, I'm really interested in this idea of the decline or the decay, because for me, it's, we know capitalism has this destructive construction, right? This Idea that they always reach the limits and then reinvent themselves and pushing the limits and but when you talk about decaying or declining of neoliberalism, what what exactly do you mean? Um, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I, I take a lot of ideas from our editor in chief of Liber- mm-hmm. Asian Asian Liberal Review, Dayu Chang, who has written a lot on on, on neoliberalism in Asia and labor movements. But last year we published a piece Mm -hmm. by him specifically looking at the sort of decaying, what he calls decaying of Mm -hmm. neoliberalism and its impact on labor. I think from his perspective, he also actually took the Asian financial crisis as an important timeframe or starting point to look at this issue that over the years, realism, it didn't quite die. I mean, it's still with us, right? But it's has less capacity to deliver economic growth or, or jobs that are kind of decent. That is not to say that neoliberalism was ever wonderful to workers, but I think it's even got much worse at delivering economic growth, right? Because the, the idea of neoliberalism is to restoring, you can say class power, to restoring economic growth after the kind of welfare state in mm-hmm. being industrialized. Economies, and I think it's increasingly looking like it's even now able to do the the very basics of what what it promised, which is have a bit higher economic growth, even at the, the cost of of labor. And what it does is then people began to react to this, and either by organizing resistance or just showing showing this this sort of disaffection about the, their conditions, and in return the state has done what you think is the best way to deal with the situation, which is attack labor so that they can attract more investments right. and restore growth. But I think this is not working, right? I, I think mm-hmm. we see in, in many countries in Asia, governments have either used direct repression, right? So mm-hmm. arresting, mm-hmm. harassing labor, labor organizers, workers, or through legislations that undermine or erode worker protection, or combination of both, right? And I think we were talking earlier about how in many, many countries we see, like in labor legislations in Indonesia, in Sri Lanka, in India, right? Right. Uh, but also very direct repression in places like Korea and China, where mm-hmm. the state basically went full sort of out on on cracking down on labor and unions.
1: Right, I think it's
0: quite an interesting moment to think about. Is this quite a concerted effort by the Mm. state to attack labor on behalf of capital?
1: Right. Yeah. For me, I kind of see that this return of return of the conservative or authoritarian forces in Asia is a response to you know struggle. Right. Is local struggles that try to counter the intensification of an you know, exploitation or neoliberal increasing neoliberal pro- process in the region And yeah we i think we kind of see as you said the concerted efforts if we break it down in each country we kind of see that like a comeback right of you know when middle class boarded for for Like in the Philippines, Duterte, mm. or in Cambodia, Hun Sen, or in Thailand, we saw like a conservative movements supporting the military and, and the, right. the conservative. And these governments, well, we see this in recent periods, like each government are, as you said, coming up with stronger or more restrictive registration, right? To right. kind of undermine workers' power or increased flexibility or to casualize the labor market even even further, right? So yeah, and I think this probably is more pronounced or clear after the COVID. I, mm. I feel like during the COVID period, there has been a lot of, I don't know, realization and consciousness about this, right? And mm. a lot of protests, a lot of struggles happened during the COVID in 2018, 19 to 20. And this right now, I don't know. We see a lot of a lot of new laws, uh, a lot of new legislations mm-hmm. have been enacted, right, in Philippines, Indonesia, and all of them are uh, under the guise of reforms. Try to discipline workers even more,
0: right? Yeah, yeah, and it's sort of interesting to think about the fact that even without those sort of reforms, quote unquote reforms. Labor conditions that are already pretty bad right, <laughs> in those right. countries, so it's hard to think how much like worse you can make it. Like you can make it much worse, of course, but I also feel it does push people to the brinks. I, I think I see a lot of places where people just feel desperate, right? Because this mm-hmm. is already bad, and people came out of COVID with who either lost their jobs or at least in some ways being impacted by. The pandemic, and now they're on top of that, they're facing right. even more attacks on their right. conditions. But, so, you back the question how, how, yeah, where is this all leading to, right?
1: Right. But don't you think that that's probably, you know, an articulation of what you just said about decaying neoliberal neoliberal capitalism? Because, mm-hmm. you know, the capitalism always reached its limits, right? But now, so desperate that it cannot squeeze more labor power or right. produce more surplus from the already exploited yeah. groups of workers so they're trying to do more you know it's it's kind of pushing workers to to the brain as you said right yeah,
0: yeah. and I, I think of for example quite interesting example which is south korea south korea has one of the lowest birth rates right. uh, in the world young people just don't see the point of getting married and having children because the cost of raising them is just very high. Right. Then, the I think early this year, the South Korean, a very anti-labor government president, proposed this labor law, that, that regulation that it is make even longer working hours legal. And this makes totally no sense, right? Because if you already have a workforce that is working long hours, and they're still feeling that they don't have enough incomes to support their families support themselves and their children pushing them to work longer it's not going to help with the situation it's going to make it worse right so i think that's just come to back to your point i think it how much can you still attract extract surplus labor from already very exhausted workforce right right you're listening to the continent of resistance
1: I think to yeah I agree and to maybe to frame it differently we maybe we could talk about this as you know, the crisis of social reproduction of the capitalism right the crisis that we have seen expressing in in the social reproduction realm right like in I think in different countries we see the the crisis in healthcare we see the crisis in education you know in the way in which the the, the uh, we we reproduce ourself, reproduce as as a working class or as a worker to go back to, to work each day. And it requires a lot of effort, right? Social yeah. efforts, social resources, and, and a lot of work have to be put into that. But, you know, since we have kind of rolled back the state's sponsored or collectivized kind of social benefits, and now everything is left to the market itself, right? So right. Maybe this is just the way that another way to, to talk about the decaying neoliberalism that
0: Absolutely. you mentioned. Absolutely. I, I think it's not accidental at all that there is a lot more interest in social production or what people say, the crisis of social production. Because I think what it reflects is exactly what you said, like the fact that workers have been so squeezed, right? Their labor power mm. had been extracted to such a degree that... As a class, they have trouble reproducing themselves, or willing, or, 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 or unable to reproduce themselves, right? And right. not just salaries, but also, like, say, education, healthcare, because so much of that has been privatized. Instead of a private by state, you know, with the state playing the role of ensuring mm-hmm. social production of the working class, it's been handed to the market. So workers end up having to pay a lot more to a not very mm-hmm. efficient, say, educational healthcare system or and also child care system early care so that they basically decided you know it's just not possible it's not wise to give birth to the next generation so i think that's quite a yeah it's not accidental at all that we are we are seeing this i, I do think it reflects to some degree exhaustion of neoliberalism or neoliberal capitalism now it has run into trouble of keeping enough workers for the next generation of workers.
1: And I think all of this point back to maybe the question of labor movement strategies or organizational strategies, right? Like, oh, Mm -hmm. I think the question that we want to ask in the beginning, I mean, since we started talking about this issue is how does the labor movement adapt and how is it, or the labor movement, is it able to support the workers to struggle and push back, right? I mean, as uh, the labor movement, as trade unions, as a form that we know it. Do you? What do you think, Kevin? Do you think that the labor movements or trade union movements in Asia have been able to to be that kind of vehicle for workers to to push back against this neoliberal capitalism?
0: Yeah, I think what we see in terms of trade union movements is it's actually in a very poor state. I think across most of Asia, union density is below 10%. And in some countries, it's more like 5%, right? So, so that means that the majority of workers, the overall majority of workers have never been part of a union or never right. seen a union, right? right. Uh, and of course, the public sector is always better than the private sector. Mm-hmm. So if you work for in the private sector, the chances of you ever come into contact with the union is extremely low. And of course if you're working the informal economy, you know, right. and, and or, or if your employment status is not even recognized as, as a worker, you know, you know, you may could be classified as self-employed or whatever. Right. Then you don't even have a union that can represent you. So I think first fact to recognize is uh the training movement is such a small percentage of the workforce across Asia, right? What does that mean for building the labor movement? Of course, we can say, let's unionize the more workers, uh, but I do think we need to first recognize the kind of the, the difficult conditions that we're in, that, that the labor movement, because they are only be able to organize such a small percentage of overall workforce, is it really capable of pushing back?
1: I think if we talk about social reproduction in particular, I mean, the, another question maybe is to ask if trade unions as an organizational forum allows organized workers to push back in the social reproduction realm, right? Right. And, and we're not talking about like only pays and only working condition here, but if workers have to, you know, they have children, what about education, right? right? They have families, they have family members, parents who are, uh, getting old how are they going to sustain themselves so yeah i i don't think the trade unions uh as a mainstream form are really interested in in these issues right because they are more they're more interested in bread and butter issues but not like yeah. you know the non-work issues right
0: yeah and a part of this i think is a lot of unions feeling that they are happy on the defensive or for decades, right? That because of the attacks on workers, on unions, they're on their back foot. So the, very often, the best they may hope for is high, a little bit higher wage, high wages for workers, high minimum wage or higher pay, and a little bit more social protection. But if they, it does, at least in my observation, and of course, there may be a lot of exceptions, but in my observation, I also see as what you were saying, saying that Chinese seem to be able to extend beyond the workplace or, or the very sort of economic issues that within the workplace. So they may be very good at, let's say, bargaining with employers and to the extent they have bargaining rights. But when it comes to what about, as you were saying, social production, what about house care, what about workers that have to pay for a lot of that? Uh, because it's all been privatized and and mediated through the market, but the wages don't reflect those costs Mm. very often, right?
1: Right. I'm not trying to dismiss the the trade unions that... Well, I actually want... I think my point is to to raise the issue that there are actually a lot of organized labor groups in, in Asia, in Southeast Asia, that are not recognized as trade unions, but are still doing a lot of work to push back in the social reproduction realm, right? Mm. I think, like in Thailand, a lot of organized groups that are independent, that are not, because of the laws and because of the low institutional power, the laws who don't really support workers. So a lot of workers are organized in, in, in alternative forms. You know, as I wrote one article, for example, the migrant workers groups, I think they are doing that kind of work that are different, but most of the time, they are not recognized, right?
0: yeah, yeah, I think there is definitely a, a certain assumption that the normal, the best form of labor organization is trade union uh organization, which may be true or may be true in certain specific circumstances, but i I do think it's uh, your piece, and I of course recommend listeners to check out that piece um uh, in a r um looking at alternative forms of labor organizations. What else is there, right? Where often, for many, many reasons, tree union is either not the most feasible form of organization or it's, it just, it's not possible for, for some workers or just sometimes workers just don't think this is the best way to represent them. Either, you know, I, I'm sure you've seen that a lot of people will critique tree unions or certain tree unions as very bureaucratic and top down. So I think the question is, Again not to dismiss trade unions as as an important form of labor organization, but what else is there that we can look at as uh, effective vehicles of worker worker struggle right
1: right i I think we have to also highlight that we we are talking in particular about the context in which trade unions are not strong right mm. i i think in some in some cases like South Korea, you know, there's a strong labor movement. That trade unions are still doing a lot of great work, right? And and they they're able to expand to informal workers or you know a lot of workers who are excluded because of the laws right now, right? Mm. But in in the context of maybe for example Cambodia, Thailand, and I don't know India or some countries where labor movements has been more fragmented in, yeah. in recent years, I think. The, there are a lot of alternatives there that we need to recognize.
0: Yeah, I think I want to f- highlight what you're saying about fragmentation. Like, it, it's a huge issue, right? It's like, mm. uh, you know, in some countries, you have so many unions or uh, union federations and confederations, and, you know, and they were divided by their sectors or they're divided, maybe there are political differences. So I think, I think how to also build unity. It's important to have kind of united labor movement. Otherwise, you already awake labor movement and then it's further fragmented along different lines. It's, it's going to have a hard time. So taking, tackling, you know, the issue, the challenges that we are seeing. Right. 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 I totally agree with that. I think, you know, we obviously don't have all the answers. You know, it takes more than (laughs) a few people to, it really takes a collective effort, like across Different groups, unions, workers to think about our solution. But I think it's important to at least pose those questions, you know, because I think we are in a moment, as we have been discussing this whole time, we're being in a moment where it's super hard to push back against the current form of, you know, current system because it sort of kind of exhausted itself. It has, you know, its a way of, of getting itself out of the crisis is attacking labor more in this kind of conditions like how do we respond what are the best forms of the organization what are the kind of demands that we should uh, make i think we need to think about more uh, of those questions rather than repeating the same things that we have been saying for for a long time maybe we need to think create more creatively and sort of get out of our comfort zone Uh, otherwise we're not going to i don't think we are going to be able to really make lives more bearable for people right and and yeah so I, I, I really appreciate this conversation.
1: Right, yeah, just just to conclude that. well, I think our whole conversation is, like you said, you know to pose questions and I think to recognize the changes and recognize the challenges at this moment, and I think it's also important to to say that. We we are currently at a crucial junction, right, in the history, But we talked about these challenges in social reproduction, crisis in, in social reproduction, or the intensification or transformation of work, right? Mm. So all of this, I think, asks the question of how, well, if we want to support the labor movements to represent the working class, how's the labor movement going to respond to this? All of these developments i think it's it's really important and and as you know as an activist or, or advocate we all want to play a part to to support the labor movement to be able to respond and and grow right
0: yeah absolutely yeah thank you i, I think this is a good conversation i think you know going forward hopefully through our conversation with other guests and you know between ourselves we can sort of take up some of the themes and build on those conversations and ideas and, and really move some of the discussion forward, right? Exactly. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. You have been listening to the Continent of Resistance podcast. You can download our latest episode on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also visit our website at laborreview.org. See you until next time.